Good morning, everyone. It's good to look out and see brothers and sisters in Christ uh, all throughout God's house here. Yay. Well, I don't know if um, you're aware of this, but we're talking about heaven. Uh, we're uh, in a sermon series called Ever After, in which we are discussing um, uh, how do you get to heaven and what will heaven be like and things like that. And um, <clears throat> we're getting our information from the Bible. It's uh, not a whole new concept to some of you, but maybe it is for some. I don't know. But um, <clears throat> I just wanted to read you something I read in the paper last night. Um, best-selling account of a six-year-old boy's journey to heaven and back has been pulled after the boy retracted his story. Spokesman Todd Starowitz of Tyndale House, a leading Christian publisher, confirmed Friday that Alex Malarkey's, and this is the name of the book, The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven, a remarkable account of miracles, angels, and life beyond this world, was being withdrawn. Earlier this week, Malarkey acknowledged in an open letter that he was lying, saying that he had been seeking attention. He also regretted that people had profited from lies. I did not die. I did not go to heaven, he wrote. When I made the claims that I did, I had never read the Bible. People have profited from lies and continue to. They should read the Bible, which is enough. Um, <clears throat> uh, I'm, I'm sad, uh, saddened by, you know, anytime something like this happens, it kind of is a, a, a smudge on, uh, on um, the power of uh, witnessing about who God is and the faithfulness of God and the reality of, of heaven, that type of thing. <clears throat> but that last line is really powerful. They should read the Bible, which is enough. And, and <clears throat> um, I'm not uh, discounting the fact that, I mean, I've been encouraged by people's accounts of, of, of uh, sort of supernatural experiences that they've had. But friends, it's enough. What's in here? is everything that we need for life and godliness. What's in here is what God has provided to us, and what we can read in here can give us enough information for us to be headed in the right direction and to be following the Lord and to be having a guarantee that we know that we're headed in the right direction. So I just encourage you to, to um, sure, read devotional literature, read uh, uh, witness accounts, that type of thing, but never put your faith in it like you do this. Because this is the word of God. And, uh, and put, your, put your nose in this book every day. Even just for five minutes. It's powerful. I just encourage you to do that. Well, let's open up this morning to the book of Revelation, chapter 21. This is the second to the last um, <clears throat> book, uh, chapter in the Bible. And uh, we're going to read this morning Revelation 21. Verses 1 through 4 and 22 through 27. So Revelation chapter 21. Listen closely. This is God's word for us today. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, 
Now the dwelling of God is with people, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And then jumping over to verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Friends, this is God's word for us today. Thank you, God, for your word. Challenge us, encourage us, inspire us, comfort us, help us as we respond to what you teach us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I noted, we've been looking at this series on heaven called Ever After, and um, I want to do want to give some credit. Uh, I, I just feel so... Uh, so much of this is uh, information I just I learned in seminary, uh, information I learned in multiple courses over many years with uh, reputable professors who uh, you know really loved the Lord Jesus and uh, and really wanted us to understand our Bibles as best as possible. And I'll have to just encourage you. There's a great book by Randy Alcorn, Randy Alcorn called Heaven, just Heaven, and that book has done a very good job of taking. A lot of the information that um, uh, that I've learned over the years, and just categorizing it in some uh, in some ways that were helpful to me. So, um, <clears throat> what I'm preaching to you, and what Kristen is preaching to you over these weeks, is uh, essentially from our own study of the scriptures, from the influence of our professors, and then with the help of uh, Randy Elkhorn, who's uh, done some uh, just organizing of that. So we're thankful for that. Well, two weeks ago, we, we asked the question, why focus on heaven? Why should we even focus on it? What's the point? And we, we gave you um, three reasons. The first one is because we're leaving. All of us are terminal. We will die. And so it's crucial that we um, think about uh, what will happen afterwards. That's a good reason. Secondly is longing. Our hearts are set on things above. Uh, we often try to uh, get our full satisfaction from the things of this world, but we all find out over time that that is not truly satisfying. That's because our hearts are set on things above. And so it's appropriate that we long for heaven, and um, that's the way God has made us. And finally, learning. We might as well know where we're going to spend eternity. If our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, if we are followers of Jesus Christ— then we will spend eternity with God. And um, it makes perfect sense to learn as much as we possibly can about that uh, beforehand. Last week, uh, Kristen preached on, uh, can I know I'm going to heaven? And she reminded us that Jesus says that this is a matter of trust. You trust in God, he says in John. Now trust also in me. 
There are many rooms in my father's house, and I am going to prepare a place for you. If this were not so, I would tell you plainly. And he assures us that though this may seem hard to see and understand, that we can trust him on this. He's making it plain that he is going ahead of us, and it is through him that salvation comes. You remember the story of W.C. Fields looking through his Bible, and somebody said, uh, while he was on his deathbed, and somebody said, what are you looking at the Bible for now? And he said, I'm looking for loopholes. And, um, <clears throat> and there's no loopholes, friends. Um, the, the, the beauty of the Bible is that it's clear that uh, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so in God's perfect wisdom and understanding, he has sent us Christ. And Christ is the bridge between us and, um, and, and the Lord, bringing us into full relationship, giving us eternal life. So that's, that's how we can know if we're going to heaven. My, I guess my question to you would be, are you trusting in Christ? Not just do you intellectually believe, yeah, I believe Jesus was out there, or he died on the cross. Um, but have you said, and he's risen again, and I am following him. I'm putting my trust in him. That's a huge question. That is the question of your life, friends, um, because we're all leaving. And uh, we will either, the Bible says, spend eternity with the Lord or separated from the Lord. And um, the call in our lives is to, in the life of every person, uh, is that we would uh, be with the Lord. So God is gracious to invite us to do that. Well, today we're looking at what will heaven be like. I'm going to tell you a little story here now. I'm not going to be telling you that cats are in heaven, okay? We'll get to that later. But there was a little cat, kitty cat, who died after a long, hard life. And he went to the gates of heaven, and God met him there, and he said, kitty cat, you've had a a tough life, so uh, how can I help you out? And the cat said, well, I... I've lived with a poor family my whole life, and I've slept on hardwood floors, and I'd love it if I could sleep on a nice little pillow. And so i got a picture of a cat on a pillow here, and uh, he gets the pillow, and he snuggles in. He feels good. Well, a few days later, six mice are killed in a tragic mouse accident. And they go to heaven, and they meet God at the gates. And... Um, He gives them the same offer as the cat. I know it's been a rough life. How can I help you guys out? And they say, well, all our lives we've had to run. We've been chased by cats and dogs and people with brooms. And if we could only have a pair of roller skates so we wouldn't have to run, run, run all the time. We could just sail around, you know, just roll around. And God says, done. And instantly each mouse had a little pair of roller skates. And off they went. How happy they were. That's great. Well, about a week later, God decides to check in on the cat. And he says, how's it going there, buddy? And the cat says, let me tell you, the pillow that you've given to me is so perfect. I love sleeping on this every day. But you know the meals on wheels you've been sending? (laughs) Outstanding. (laughs) What will heaven be like? What will heaven be like? Well, already some of us are probably getting images we've seen from movies or pictures or cartoons about heaven. Heaven as a, uh, a sort of a non-physical, uh, spiritual place out there somewhere, ethereal, cloud-like, way up high, 
far away. Maybe you got some of this bad information from strange stories that the pastor tells in the sermon. Whatever reason uh, you have your thought of heaven, um, the Bible has some interesting thoughts to share. Before I get to that, I want to share with you a little song that I learned in summer camp. It goes like this. Somewhere in outer space, God has prepared a place for those who trust him and obey. Jesus will come again, although we don't know when. The countdown's getting closer every day. Does it sound familiar to anybody? Ten and nine, eight and seven, six and five and four. Call upon the Savior while you may. Three and two, coming through the clouds in bright array. The countdown's getting closer every day. Anyone ever heard that song? Oh, I got a couple. Got a couple, yeah. Somewhere in outer space. Somewhere in outer space, God has prepared a place. Yuri uh, Gagarin, on April 12, 1961, aboard the Vostok 1, became the first human being to travel into outer space, the first human being to orbit the Earth. And he famously said while he was there, I don't see any God up here. And he was quoted later by uh, Nikita Khrushchev in a famous speech during an anti-religion campaign during the Soviet era. Gagarin flew into space but didn't see any God there. Well, were they right? Is God somewhere in outer space and they missed him? Where is God? Where is heaven itself? And why would we assume that heaven is somewhere out there, an ethereal place in the clouds? Why do we assume that? Why is that sort of our default mode? Heaven is far away, up, cloudy, spiritual. Why do we think that? Well, two reasons. The first is a um, little, little history lesson here for you. The first is Platonism. Platonism came from a guy named Plato. Plato should be somewhat familiar to you. A Greek philosopher who lived in Athens for 80 years from 427 to 347 BC. He believed that material things were bad and inferior and immaterial things like spiritual things were good and superior. And so Plato has his old story of the, um, the uh, allegory of the cave. This might sound familiar to some of you where he, he says, here's, here's how I explain it. These guys are living in a cave and they're not allowed out, but they can look up on the wall of the cave and there's a, a big fire here and, and um, the, the, the reflections of what's going on outside, they just see the shadows on the side of the cave reflected by the light brought by the fire. That's, that's what they see. And so what they see in their real life, they think this is all about real life right here, these shadows. But the real life is out there. The shadows are what they think is real life, but that's not real life. And he says... That's the way it works in our lives. Everything around us is just a shadow. Everything you experience, touch, feel, this is just the shadow. This is just the shell of the real stuff out there, which is the spiritual stuff. And so your body is just this temporary shell you're stuck in. The real part of you is your spirit, which is alive and well. When you die, it, it's released from the trap of your body and sent to this, this spiritual place where spirits live and where real life really is. Plato was highly influential. I mean, just tons of people took on that thought of the body, it's not so important. 
the spiritual life, it's very important. And, and the net result is that some of them were like, well, the body's not important, so I can do whatever I want with my body and still be spiritual. See how that's enticing to some folks? I can do, man, I can do whatever I want. I can have all the fun I want down here because it's just my body. The spiritual part of me can still be right with God. Or others said, the body is bad, so let's just put it down. Let's, like, let's reject it. These are the guys who went out and you know, lived in, in, in caves and in the desert and said, the body is bad. The spiritual is important. Both of those people were, those groups were influenced by Plato and by what we, what we eventually called Christoplatonism. There's your $10,000 word for the day. Christoplatonism. In other words, the merging of Christianity with some of these Platonic thoughts. So Philo and Origen, who were um, very influenced by Plato, ended up influencing a lot of early Christians. And so this idea that heaven and real stuff is out there and all the stuff around us is the shadow, not so important stuff, is really strong and it became very strong in, uh, even within Christian thinking. A second reason why we've tended to assume that heaven is out there and that spiritual stuff is out there is a misunderstanding of a very familiar passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, 17 is probably a very familiar passage to you. I'm going to read it to you. Here it is. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. So that's a, that's a powerful passage of hope that the dead in Christ shall rise. When Jesus comes back, the dead in Christ shall rise, and then those who are still alive and who are Christians will, will, will follow and will all rise up in the air and will meet Christ and will be with him forever. But what do we assume will happen as soon as we meet Christ? Where will we go? And most of the teaching I got when I was younger was that we will go away. We will be taken away from this earth and we will go off to some heavenly realm out there far away. I want to tell you a little story about Pastor Kristen. When she was in seventh grade, there was a marching band that was uh, high school kids sent from Dusseldorf, Germany, and they were coming to their little hometown. You remember that town's name, Center Sandwich? People love to tease Kristen about that. They were coming to New Hampshire, and while they were in that town, the town, the kids in, in Sandwich, they all got new uniforms, and Kristen's mom sewed every single one of them a matching vest. That's the Betty Crocker kind of thing Kristen's mom would have done. I just want you to know she's a wonderful lady that, that way. They all learned to play the German national anthem. They all prepared for months ahead of time. They learned how to line up in a special way in the parking lot to welcome them. And when the big day came, the German kids flew into Boston and they got on a bus and they were headed to New Hampshire. And when they were many miles outside of town, the town Fire trucks and police cars went out. They went out to outside of town and they met the bus and they turned on all the lights and the sirens and they brought them back into town. And it was a giant celebration. It was a big party and everybody had a great time. They went out 
and they brought them back in. In the ancient Near East, when the conqueror was coming back from some great battle, everybody would pour out of the town and whoop it up and come back into town in a big parade. And the conqueror would be welcomed back to town. They didn't all head someplace else. Now you're saying, now wait a minute, this sounds a little bit familiar. I hope it does, because it's exactly what happens on um, Palm Sunday. Jesus comes towards town on the donkey, the sign that he is saying, I am Messiah. And the people pour out of the town with the palm fronds and laying their cloaks on the ground, and they celebrate. And what do they do? Do they all go away? No, they welcome Jesus into the town. And so because folks have not, some teachers have not been aware of that practice, they've assumed that when the idea that we go to meet Jesus in the air, they've assumed, and then we take off. But the text, the Bible doesn't say that. It says we will be with him forever. And if you know the ancient Near Eastern practice, then you know that that would mean to the folks that Paul was writing to, oh, we go out to welcome the conqueror back into this town, back into this place, back into what Revelation 21 calls the new heaven and the new earth. So let's go and see exactly what it says. Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now let me just do a little quick side note and say to you that the sea, to the ancient uh, uh, Jews, was seen as the place of darkness and evil and death. Um, Sailors would uh, very often refused to sail their boats beyond where they could see land because the sea was seen as a scary place. And so they'd sail all the way around the Mediterranean Sea instead of across it uh, just to be, be able to stay close to land. The sea was a scary place. And so when it says here the sea was no more, it's, it's saying the same thing it says later when there will be no more death and no more pain, no more crying, no more evil, no more darkness. There's a... There's a new heaven and a new earth and a first heaven and a first earth that will pass away. You can remember from other scriptures that the Bible says the elements themselves will melt away in fire. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. That means that the first heaven and the first earth are gone. They are temporary, not lasting forever. The new heaven and the new earth will take the place of the old heaven and the old earth and they are permanent and everlasting. So just to be clear, the current heaven and current earth are temporary. They won't last forever. The current earth is where we live right now. It's where all the physical things around us are. It's everything we recognize. It's what we're uh, mandated by God to be taken care of. We are the stewards of God's gift of creation. When we die, our bodies stay on this current earth and decompose. This is the current earth. The current heaven is a temporary place where souls dwell with God while we await, wait for the final day of resurrection. So you see, uh, you'll think of 2 Corinthians 5, 8, which says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's uh, 
folks who are following Christ. Or Jesus says to the uh, thief on the cross, Luke 23, 43, today you will be with me in paradise. So we are still us in the, the old heaven, but we are disembodied. Our spirits are removed from our bodies. That's what death is. It's the, the bad experience of having your spirit removed from your body. But our spirits are with God in the present tense, in, in this, this heaven, this current heaven. This is the first earth and the first heaven. But now, Revelation says, the first or the old heaven and earth will pass away and this new heaven and new earth will be here. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Here's the description of this new heaven and earth. The holy city, he immediately describes it. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed as uh, for her husband. Now, um, when I had the privilege of doing my sister's uh, wedding a few years ago, my sister's name is Beth, but a lot of family members call her Daz. It's a long story. Anyway, a young family member looked up at her and said, Auntie Daz, you look awesome. And in fact, she had the best updo I've ever seen. It was incredible. It was like, what? And, and they said, you look like a giant, which was a high compliment from the young child who said this. Bride's friends do not just show up. They prepare. They prepare for this huge wedding moment. And the new heaven is described as this bride, which is being prepared for us. John 14, reminding of, of this passage I read to you earlier, in my father's house are many rooms. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. This new heaven, thus, is prepared for us, and it is beautiful. The description of it, John uses some interesting uh, uh, words to describe it uh, in, in a little bit earlier in chapter 21. He says, the foundations of the city, the city walls, are decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made with a single pearl. The great street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. He's, he's trying to describe something that nobody has ever seen before. But he, because he's having this revelation from Jesus, is allowed to see a little bit of what this new Jerusalem, this new heaven and earth will look like. He says, it shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious ghoul. Jewel, not ghoul. <laughs> Golly. Very precious jewel. Hey, we don't know here whether he's being literal or metaphorical. We don't, we don't know exactly what, what this all means, but we do know it's going to be beautiful. Beautiful beyond compare. It's going to be amazing. And it's not going to be just spirits floating around in clouds. There's a physicality to this. This is a city. It's orderly. It's been worked upon. It's been prepared. It's a place where many people will live together. And most importantly, it says in verse 3, now the dwelling of God is with people. 
and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be their God. So the God is coming to live with his people in this new heaven. This is one of the ways that we know this new Jerusalem is the new heaven because it's where God lives. It's where we and God will live together. The old order of things will pass away. The new heaven comes down from the old heaven. It comes down to the new earth. The new heaven and the new earth become one. And there is no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Friends, it's going to be heaven on earth. Have you ever thought of heaven that way before? It's interesting, isn't it? That's what the text seems to imply here. We're not whisked away to outer space. We will have bodies that will be resurrected and glorified just like Jesus' resurrected, glorified body in which he was recognizable, which he ate fish, which he was physical. They could touch him. They could hold on to him. And yet he had the ability to pass through walls, appear, disappear, that type of thing. We'll have this glorified body, which will be physical, but glorified much more than we understand right now. The earth will be restored. And maybe not just restored, but we could almost use the word resurrected. It will be made better than before. Better than the Garden of Eden. Now, isn't that cool? God starts out with a beautiful, perfect creation. It gets messed up. And what does he do? He restores it in a way that will be even better. What's your favorite place on earth? I want to show you a picture of my, one of my favorite places on earth. This is uh, a picture of Bondcliff. It's a mountain in New Hampshire. It's right in the middle of the Pemigewasset Wilderness. And this picture is taken from the top of West Bond Peak. West Bond Peak is not really impressive to look at by itself, but it's awesome because it sits right in the middle. And when you're standing on West Bond Peak, you can look in every direction and see absolutely no human touch or influence at all, except in one little corner, if you look just the right place, you can see the top of the ski slopes of Loon Mountain, several mountains over. Besides that, it's untouched wilderness. It's so beautiful. It's such an incredibly beautiful place. This is one of my favorite places on earth. I love being there. What's your favorite place? Now imagine, it's going to be a thousand times better. It's going to be restored, renewed, made awesome. Do you like the shore? It's going to be an amazing beach. It's going to be awesome. Whatever it is, it's going to be physical. You're going to get to be there. Experience it in a physical way. The presence of God, the passage says, gives it light. No longer a need for sun, moon, stars, Those are all things of the old heaven. The universe in all its glory, friends, will not outshine this new heaven and new earth. And the glory and the honor of all the nations will be there. It says, the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Now look at these folks here. You're looking at people from all over the world. And this is just a tiny sampling of all the different kind of ethnic people there are out there, all the different people who have different customs and different uh, 
looks and different ways of dressing, etc. It says here that cultures will be celebrated. Every culture will be celebrated. Every culture has good in it because God is the creator of cultures. God is the creator of the diverse world that we live in. And there's goodness all over, but every culture is also broken and not complete without the fullness of Christ in it. And so in a wonderful way that we don't fully understand, God will take all the goodness of those cultures and bring them into this new heaven and new earth. Isn't that cool? We will actually be able to celebrate some of the good things of our culture that, that bring us great joy will still be a part of this heavenly experience. We are made in the image of God. We are, uh, God is the creator, but he allows us to create as well. And so some of your great creations, the music that you wrote or the painting that you drew or the sweater that you knit or the whatever, it, that, those things somehow will be a part of this new heaven and new earth. The best that every people group has created. The kings of the earth will bring, bring their splendor into it. Andy Crouch says, Andy Crouch is an editor at Christianity Today. He wrote a great book called Culture Making. Um, highly recommend it. He talks about this goodness of the cultures being brought in. So we start out in this garden, Eden, and we end up in this city, the new Jerusalem, that takes all these things and puts them together. And lest we get to some point where we're starting to say, oh, everybody, this is great, everybody's in, we get this sobering reminder in the last verse. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So we don't turn into universalists who believe everyone will be saved. He's very clear here. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will be a part of this new heaven and new earth. And that is why we have the mandate of bringing Jesus to the world, bringing him to all those who do not know him so that they will know that he is the way, he is the bridge that crosses the chasm of sin and brings us into right relationship with God. It's through Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so if you are a follower of the Lamb, if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, this is what you have to look forward to. How awesome is that? That's good news. Good news. So just as a recap, heaven is going to be a physical place, not some spirit-only thing. Now, I have some mountains that I've never climbed, and I'm looking forward to climbing those mountains when I get to heaven. In whatever form it takes, I've never made it to the Himalayas. I've always wanted to go. I made choices in my life that kept me from doing that. I'm glad I made those choices, but I'm looking forward someday to experiencing mountains like I've never experienced before. It's going to be a physical place. It's going to be here on earth. It's going to be this earth somehow made new, resurrected, made even better than it is. And it's going to have human influence. The beauty of the creativity that God has given to us will not be lost. Now, I can't sit here and tell you that I know how it's all going to work or exactly everything about it, but I can say 
that you're going to like it. You're going to like it. I'm going to invite the band to come forward uh, to uh, end us with a song here. Um, Yeah, I don't understand it all. I don't understand it all. But I know it's going to be great. And uh, if you're thinking to yourself, well, how can we have a positive experience for a place we don't fully understand? I just want to remind you right now that in the universe, that 74% of what we know in the universe is dark energy. We can see its influence, but we can't measure it itself. And 22% is dark matter. It's matter that's there. We can see the effect it's having on the rest of the universe, but we don't have any way of seeing it or measuring it. Only 4% of all that we can see and feel and touch is, is that's, the, that's the known universe to us. Everything you can think about in the universe only comprises 4% of the real universe. You live in a place you don't fully understand. You're going to a place you don't fully understand, but you are going with God. And Jesus is there, and that is all that matters. I want the band to finish with this song that they started this out with, You Are Good by uh, Israel Houghton. The first time I ever heard this song, I was sitting in Joel Olstein's church in Houston. There were 36,000 people there, and I was sitting in the second row right behind Israel Houghton. And I'm like, this is a really good song. And he goes, thanks, I wrote it. <laughs> it was awesome. It was an amazing place to worship. And friends, where we're going, it's going to be 100 times better. Let's stand and celebrate now how good God is to give us a heaven.